Welcome to Why the Last Podcast. I'm your host, Grim, here with co-host Mike and Jackie. You both can say hello. Hi. Hi. <laughs> we were both afraid to interrupt each other, but hello. <laughs> yeah, normally you introduce people one by one, but that's just how I'm going right now. Just throw the bone up in the air, see who grabs it. <laughs> so uh, let's start with Jackie. Uh, Jackie, what's your uh, Twitter handle? I am at Easy Treasy on Twitter. Right. And Mike? I am at Mike X Nichols. And we are here uh, with guest Lacey. Lacey, how are you doing? Good. Hi, everybody. Lacey, feel free to throw out your Twitter handle. Uh, it is at Embalmarama. That is right. It is at Embalmarama. Uh, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> we're just testing you, seeing if it, it really is that. Um, Lacey, you passed. Uh, you passed. That's right. Um, awesome. We like to get a feel for people's experiences and how they got into the uh, either the comic or the show. So I was hoping you could uh, expand on that. How did you first come about it? Yeah, so um, I was actually given a bunch of free comics from my friend when I was 17. He downloaded a bunch of them on my computer. And one of them was Why the Last Man. And I read the whole series and I was like absolutely obsessed. And so that's kind of how I got into loving comics in the first place was because I read Why the Last Man, The Sandman, uh, Lost Girls. But Why the Last Man had like a, I think like a really um, visceral kind of like resonance with me. So I have loved Brian K. Vaughn ever since. And I've kind of been following like the development of the show, you know, like when they were talking about doing Shia LaBeouf, you know, you heard all this stuff that they were going to use all these different actors. So I've been waiting for years and then finally we get it. So I'm very excited to talk about it. Very, very excited. Finally. I got to say that that word you used visceral was um, it kept coming up in my mind as we were going through the first episodes. I had to turn it off at some parts. I won't we'll get into all this, but oh, my God. Yes. Yeah, I, th- I thought that it was. Yeah, I thought it did that part of it justice where it's like it's very intense. It should be. Absolutely. It would yeah. feel campy or silly if it wasn't. They did it right. It was just brutal. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely uh, agree on that front. Uh, so what we would like to do is uh, split the first three episodes instead of doing it episode by episode because it's got these uh, individual plot lines that we would cover them uh, by the center focuses. So I'd like to start with Hero's plot line and go through that with everyone. All right. Let's do it. Yeah. So uh, we at the start of the, the, uh, the our introduction to Hero – is uh, her at uh, what is basically an NA or AA meeting. I don't think they they uh, established either one, but she's an she's got some uh, addiction court uh, court ordered addiction services, um, and she's uh, with her friend uh, who's a trans man, and uh, they are discussing uh, they're kind of discussing her place and uh, uh, and her life. Before she meets up with her loser brother Yorick, yeah, she's rudely <laughs> interrupted in the middle of this this meeting, where she's suffering a little bit. You can tell everybody in the room is suffering, but Hero is particularly suffering because she is the only addict amongst a group of addicts who thinks, "I don't belong here." 
she's not going to get anything from the recovery group because she's here absolutely certain that she's misplaced there, that she's just following orders so she can get back behind the wheel of a car and get another DUI. Right. It's not like she has ever done anything reckless or rash, as we'll no. see later. <laughs> So uh, Hero, uh, uh, she gets interrupted by her loser brother, and she's more than excited to be interrupted by him, uh, begging her for uh, for $100 to buy cheese. Literally Fuck cheese. You. She says, Fuck <laughs> you. I stand Hero so hard. She is like, she is me. She is me in the context of this. I even have a Yorick brother. So this whole thing was very soul healing to watch for me. <laughs> do you really? Show. I really do. I really do. Shout out, Ian. I love you, but fuck you. Fuck <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Hero is interesting because she's got that like classic masculinity like front, but she's not. I mean, she's. A woman so it's very interesting that she's got this kind of like yeah i i can definitely throw down vibe and yorick is the one who's kind of like well i got to buy fancy cheeses yeah (laughs) (laughs) and the crux Um, of this whole scene is hero telling um is hero telling yorick don't do this this is not going to work out the way you think it's going to she loves beth this isn't about beth this is about yorick being a loser and jumping the gun because he's trying to fix the problems in his relationship by proposing. Yeah, and exactly. exactly. That she works says out. that too, you know? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, uh, yeah. get married, have a kid. I mean, these are all solutions, right? Exactly. <laughs> next problem, next kid. Next problem, take out a mortgage, you know? There are all these things you can do to not deal with your relationship. So <laughs> that's uh, that's totally true. She correctly points out that he's like borrowing a hundred dollars to like pay for his engagement announcement, and he's not even like going to a restaurant. He's just he's making fancy grilled cheese. <laughs> it's, it's just so lovably pathetic and also kind of adorable at the same time. Because it's relatable. Everybody knows somebody like this. Tell me, do you guys know a Yorick in your oh, life? Totally. Oh, we ha- we all have a Yorick, I think. Yeah. I think I was a Yorick, so I'm just going to start there. <laughs> you know. And for the- all of our listeners, like the Yorick in your life, just think about this guy and how lovably pathetic he is for a minute and just have some grace for the Yorick's of the world. They're out there. <laughs> As Amber Tamblin's character would say later. Oh. <laughs> but we'll get to her. Um, so, uh, hero, uh, the hero's journey, if you will, uh, (laughs) she starts by going to, uh, uh, she's on her shift as an EMT. Um, and she is talking with, uh, 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 Jesus, Mike, why would you call it? Co-EMT? I don't know what you would call the other person who's also Uh, there. her partner usually just refer to them as your partner. I mean, and they're also, you know, more than just work partners as we find out. Right. (laughs) He's telling her he told his wife about them. And you know what the implication is? Clearly, there is no like, uh, you know, Hero's not ambiguous with these things. You definitely get the impression she's very much in charge um, in that realm. She's basically mad he's not following orders. And now she's excited he's followed orders. So uh, they they uh, get done with their shift at park and uh, have some fun. Uh, well, he, yeah, fun times in the back of the ambulance. That that does not sound fun for me, by the way. 
There's, yeah. there's needles. It sounds like a good way to die. I'm going to be real with you. It sounds like like how you die. Well, I mean, actually, uh, for him, <laughs> that's exactly what happened. Uh, incidentally. Although, incidentally, yeah. Uh, Hero found so, out he was full of shit. Yes. It's so in line with Hero's character to fuck in the back of an ambulance. And yes. this whole thing, I feel like it says more about Hero's attitude towards herself and the comments that her brother made when he said, if you didn't fucking hate yourself so much, and then he trailed off. And they both knew exactly what he meant because as she was sitting in the van, she's like, okay, if he talks to his wife about it, this elevates this from me having self-hating meaningless sex to me having a potential relationship. Right. So this this has more importance to it than just these two characters. Like this is Hero trying to establish herself as a normal, sensible woman and how different that is from her reality. Yes. Something something I think is interesting about Hero is that um and this is brought up later by her friend Sam in like a later episode, but she's very guarded in a way. Like she doesn't I don't think she immediately takes to people. So like for her she starts casually dating her co-worker because like does she really have a lot of friends not really sam's like her only friend and that's pretty much it like it seems like she doesn't really talk to anyone else other than the people at her aa meeting and she doesn't look really engaged there either so it's it's just interesting to me to see that what did sam say he said hero why do you fucking hate everybody why do you hate everyone and she does and I feel yeah. like um, her getting together with a married man like makes sense. Like I honestly don't even think that she would know what to do if he did leave his wife. Like I don't even think that that relationship would play out the way that she thinks it would. That's a good point. It might be one of those classic scenarios where as soon as she has him, the thrill of the whole situation is gone because she does hate herself. And she doesn't, I'm sure that she would have just as much dif- difficulty loving him as she does loving herself. That's a good point, Lacey. Yeah, I really think so. I think that she is making decisions like in her relationships that cause like heightened drama because when we don't, when we have a lot of self-loathing, that's kind of the things that we do, right? We like seek out, you know, people or situations that kind of like get our adrenaline pumping. Yes. Because you want to feel something, anything different than your, your hatred for yourself, you know? Even huge problems, you'll dive headfirst into them because any problem that's not mine, that's somebody else's, it feels sad exactly. compared to your own mess. She she can't be in a situation where she doesn't have the trump card. So like for this relationship, the trump card is he's a cheater. So worst case scenario, she's always got the, oh, you left your wife? Well, I can't trust you because you cheated. Yep. Like Exactly. You know, she's always ready that. to take flight and escape at any moment. What are you saying, Mike? No, I just, I was thinking about um, what was just said about her, like about like diving into other people's problems because it's easier to deal with than your own. And that's a lot of what you do as a DMT or a paramedic. It's like very easy to just, you walk up on scene and you say, oh, what's going on? And you help that person out. And it's very easy to like forget about your own problems when you're just the entire shift dealing with other people's issues, often on their worst days. Yeah, you have to compare compartmentalize i know words Mm. (laughs) (laughs) exactly yes um and that's hero like i I think that's very true to her comic book counterpart too um because she does sort of without going into too much detail like she does sort of go on her own journey 
um, after what happens initially to her, uh, trying to be as vague as possible uh, for people who haven't read the comic, but um, she kind of goes on like a whole nother journey and it does involve Yorick in a way, but um, it's sort of like a, I, I guess sort of a road of redemption, but also her just kind of figuring herself out and overcoming her own trauma. I, I gotta say too, the casting of Livia therapy um, is fantastic. Love and her. the, all of the changes from the comic on, on her character's behalf are in my mind, huge improvements. Can you guys tell me about some of the differences between the the silver screen uh, hero and the one from the original series? Um, after just rereading them, like last week, I can tell you that she is definitely not set up in the comics. Like her her personal life is not as messy, and they really don't get into their lives too much before like things, you know, shit hits the fan. Like they literally do not delve into who these people are, like what they were doing. It kind of, you know, it kind of just gets straight into the thick of it. And then you just hit the ground running and, and see them develop like after everything happens. So I, I actually like that addition in the show, like having it, um, having it basically like set up a little bit about who each of these people are before things like kind of fall apart in the first place. Yeah, I am definitely a huge fan of that choice. I like the context it creates because, uh, I mean, obviously TV is going to be a lot more like intimate of an environment than a comic would be. Um, comics are a lot more um, able to just kind of push a, uh, a plot along, uh, you know, as both the positive and a negative. But with TV, you're definitely the seeing the people's expressions and emotions and understanding who they are is going to be a more important uh, aspect in my mind. The juxtaposition, I think, is important, and I think um, that's a really good choice um, because I think the comic is very centered on Yorick, and then I, especially at the beginning, it's more centered on Yorick, just like Lacey said. Like, we don't really get a full story on Hero like we do here. Um, like, one of the big changes is, like, when she's in the back of the ambulance and then the plague hits, um, she has just, you know, killed her partner. Um, and it's interesting how she almost gets like a second chance because of that. Whereas in the comic, she literally loses her partner in front of her, like the person she's dating. It's like her first serious relationship and he dies in front of her. Um, but it's interesting the the contrast between the two. I definitely like it too, because it makes um, the, it makes the rest of hero's path align far better in my mind. Uh, this whole second chance narrative where um uh, just to clarify, she throws a uh, she throws a fire extinguisher, I believe, or an oxygen tank. It's an oxygen uh, tank, yeah. Yeah, oxygen tank, yeah. She throws a, a, a big-ass metal tank at his head, and it basically nicks his uh, his artery, and he just he just dies in the back of the ambulance. And she has no idea what's happening in the rest of the world. So for her, she thinks she's – I mean, she's already – she knows she's going to prison for murder. She knows that, like, there's no way around it. She knows it's, you know, she's a stellar victim for a courtroom trial. She's definitely spinning those wheels. Like, oh, yeah, the other woman who murdered the EMT. That's going to be a, that's going to be a great court case. Yeah, that's <laughs> ugly. That's going to get ugly real quick. So but, she has no idea you know, that, that, that he is not the only dead man. Like, no, that all men 
as this is happening, are all simultaneously dying. Right. And when she finds out that all men are simultaneously dying, she starts stalking his wife. (laughs) (laughs) You got, you got to drag your mess. You know, you get a full clean slate. The first thing you got to do is just scrape across it all the way. I love her so much. Yeah. (laughs) Well, and I think that goes back to like really explaining her character, at least in the show is that she wants to be punished, you know, like, you yes. see her in you see her in this rehab like this this addiction meeting and it's like i it seems like she's used to basically like fucking up and then getting like you know like a free pass for it like she finishes up this addiction stuff and she's going to have everything like her whole slate clean and the same thing happens with her murdering her lover you know like in the next second it's like oh all the men are dead so you don't have to worry about that so it's like she seeks out his his wife to punish herself because she she really does hate herself. And even in the meeting, she's not looking for um, for healing, for forgiveness for herself. It, it's retribution. This is punishment, not just for her, but for everybody else. And yeah. for Yorick, she's punishing him. She's the divine hammer between the two siblings, you know? Right. And it's also like she's her own kind of... She's not a Yorick fail son, but she's also not like a success daughter. Truly, she's she definitely uh, she definitely feels less pressure to uh, uh, be more legitimized in her eyes than she would otherwise because of Yorick's screw ups. And that's kind of a bit of how she views the world. As long as I'm doing better than the worst, you know, in the category, I'm good. So let it be known to all of our listeners that there is not a dichotomy between the fail son and the success daughter. There is a, a fail spectrum that you can really <laughs> go through in between those two points. That's right. All right. Well, uh, does anyone have any last notes for Hero before we move on? Love um, her. Yeah, <laughs> love love Hero. She was like one of my favorites from the comics too. When I originally read them i was like oh my god i love hero brown queen <laughs> queen hero does roll yeah uh, <laughs> the only thing i'll add is that like as we basically we leave hero in episode three on a note of basically her and sam um they're out of resources um they're desperate and sam basically tells hero that they need to go see her mom who's now the president um and that sends them on their journey to what happens next, which I don't want to spoil, but they do. There's definitely a road to hell for the, for them based on what I've seen so far and what we know. I am interested in Sam's plot picking up too, because it's uh, uh, Sam's only got two weeks of testosterone left. And I'm like really wondering like what uh, is going to happen on that front in terms of if uh, just how hero is going to respond and if she'll be able to, uh, curate or get any more for him. So um, it doesn't sound like she's ever had a difficulty getting drugs, but um, hopefully uh, Sam gets to see the positive end of that. <laughs> so next we have uh, Yorick. Uh, uh, Yorick, the fail son, who's the closest we'll have to a protagonist in these first three episodes. Um, although I would actually argue that maybe his mom is probably more of one thus far. 
But uh, York is definitely the center of the series as it goes on in general. Before um, we go too deep into his uh, um, story arc so far, how yeah. do you guys as long-term fans feel about the, the final casting? Because there's been a few choices that were uh, announced throughout the years, and now we've finally settled here. What do we think? Oh, yeah, I'm totally stoked. I, I love all of it. I don't think I, there's a single choice thus far that I haven't been a fan of. I, Yeah, I, there's not anyone... I'm good. Yeah, I, I would agree. love to see I, Shia. You know, yeah, um, Shia. Yeah. Shia, whenever he was up for it, I was like, you know, that's a that is actually a pretty interesting choice. Like, I wouldn't have mind seeing that, but I do like uh, who they have picked. What? How do you pronounce his last name? Ben Schneitzer. Schnitzer. I think it's Schnitzer. Schnitzer. Please correct us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're butchering his name. <laughs> Poor guy. <laughs> but um I love him as Yurik so far because I think uh I think that uh I like having an actor in there that we don't know like very well. It's interesting to see basically where what he's gonna be able to do with that character. It's it's a tough role because as we said in the previous episode, you know, Yurik is not um He's not like an instantly likable protagonist. Um, no, there, there's certainly like charming things about him, but like that's a really thankless role, especially at first. And because he is self righteous, he is kind of bratty, he is very naive. Um, but there's a growth there. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I love him so far. Like I think he's great. I think he totally gets the character, and he looks like Yorick, or how I imagine him to be, like just from the comic. So uh, yeah, so far so good. Yeah, totally. I, I, you couldn't agree more on that front. The uh, so I'm I kind of have Yorick stuff in order. So uh, I'm starting with him getting ampersand with Beth, um, which is such <laughs> such a a great moment in the series. He he she thinks he has brought home a cat, and she's already not a fan of that. And in his mind, he's like, ah, oh, she will be so excited. It's actually a monkey. <laughs> it is so extremely clear she is not <laughs> no, Beth is uh, almost a great uh, comparison to Yorick in some of his personal failings because she's very responsible and very conscientious and he wants to be but he is not he's a daydreamer right he is absolutely a dreamer and he uh, Yorick specifically um his relationship with Beth, it's very clear that Beth kind of has him as a low maintenance loser boyfriend. Right? <laughs> like, I mean, to yeah. like be nice about it as nice as I can be. He is kind of the, you know, he's, he's definitely not going to, uh, you know, he's, he's definitely not going to be violent. He's definitely just, you know, kind of his, his fault is he's just kind of a loser. Right. But he's definitely going to care about you. He's definitely going to try and anticipate your needs. So it's about, you know, it looks like she really wants that low impact, you know. Body pillow boyfriend. That's a great word. Is that a real yeah. word? No, oh. I just came up with that right now. <laughs> I mean, it. I literally just came. That might be a thing, though. I'm not it's, that clever. It's got to be a thing, right? <laughs> I'm checking. For I'm sure it's on our femme cell somewhere. <laughs> Probably. 
but um yeah he's he's there and it's she kind of alludes as he's proposing with his his fancy uh, grilled cheese with tomato that sounds delicious although once you add tomato it's no longer grilled cheese it's a melt um fair but uh as True. he's uh, proposing gotta get this straightened out yes that's what's <laughs> most important uh he does definitely um or sorry she does kind of allude to the fact she wants to date while they're apart <laughs> she doesn't say it but she's like i want to meet other people and she just kind of keeps it vague uh for her australia trip which does not bode well now this whole meeting um is very different from the way it was originally in the series is that right oh yeah because she's already in australia in the series yeah yeah and the whole thing happens over the phone where they kind of just leak out information about how insane it is that York is proposing. Like, Beth would not have been anticipating this. She had no reason to see this coming. Right. And obviously Hero was aware of that. And Hero kind of did the like, did you, Hero not looking in the mirror at all, being like, did you not realize what you were in this relationship? Yes! <laughs> <laughs> I think the interesting thing too about this is that um, in both the comic and the TV series, it's it's functionally similar in that York is trying to hang on to Beth, right? Like he can kind of see that they're moving in different directions. You know, he he definitely can tell like blood is in the water here. You know, once she goes or she's already gone, you know, things are not going to be the same again. And he's trying to cling on to like some sense of like, I guess, normalcy for him. Um, Because... York is very much like a drifter, at least in my eyes. He just kind of, he's just kind of floating along. Like, and his parents yeah. know that, and everyone who knows him knows that about him. But I mean, yeah, yeah. Oh, go ahead. No, I was just gonna say he's literally an escape artist. He's rootless. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he is an escape artist, putting himself in the uh, the straitjacket of marriage because he doesn't want to lose her. <gasps> Holy shit! That just blew my mind. <laughs> Speaking of which, I I really love that. Um, in the so in the comic, Yorick is trying to escape from the jacket while he's on the phone with Beth. Whereas our introduction to him is basically he's teaching this kid how to do magic for money, and like the kid's dad's just like, "Yeah, you're not learning anything there. I'm not, we're not going to keep going to Yorick." And then Yorick is just like, "Man, your dad is such a dick," which I just you know. Yeah, he found a camp, and Yorick's like, "You can go to magic camp." His lost childhood just flies before his eyes. I also like that Absolutely. he falls and he doesn't actually get out of the jacket. It's all part of it. It's all part of the yeah. jacket. Yeah. I like that. I, I like that little um uh like side thing with his character there because in the comic, like you were saying, it's completely different. He ends up getting out of the straight jacket, but in this one he just like he like messes it up. It falls mm-hmm. from the ceiling. Then he eventually gets out and it's just like, God, what a doof. But it, I think that it's more effective in a show, you know? <laughs> it is. There's so much exposition that happens in just that tiny little clip, just in that scene in his apartment, not just uh, uh, introducing us to Ampersand and the way he behaves, but also to Yorick and, and his past and his goals and where he really is compared to where he thinks he is. Yeah, oh, yeah. Very effective. I like the symbolism of sometimes to get out of a difficult situation, you need to change where you are, which is, you know, definitely going to be a big theme in the series. Um, and then we got uh, York navigating uh, dying New York city, trying to not show anyone that he's a man. Um, 
which is uh, what the we, best of his ability. It's what we open it's, with. Yes, that uh, is how we open. Um, also, we get a good ex- exposition on it from Sam, who's had to do the exact same thing, except Sam has had to do it from the angle of, I don't have a Y chromosome. I'm taking like testosterone. That's what's up. Um, and York is apparently not clever enough to come up with that excuse. <laughs> Let's hope he comes up with something better as it goes on, huh? He won't. Uh, <laughs> no. He'll just reveal he that he's a man. Do it in the, yeah, he didn't even do that in the comics. He just kept telling everybody that he wasn't. I was like, bro, do you just want to die like you? Right. Stop I mean, he does, them. <laughs> Yeah, he does. There's That's the problem. problem. <laughs> do you want to die maybe uh-huh. <laughs> they when uh they show his face later on when he finds out because he's assuming like okay well if i survive maybe this is one of those you know one in a million thing but one in a million still means there's you know 20 million 50 million men so i mean or 50,000 or whatever you know i did the math totally wrong there but just the <laughs> whole if it's one in a million and there's there's seven billion people then that means there are thousands so um, it's still a big number. It's still a big number. It's it's enough that if you off yourself, you're uh, not ruining the future of humanity. And then it's like, nope, you're stuck. Yep. So good luck with that. Good luck with and that. We talked about this in the previous episode, but I think it's really great that they have this moment where York basically says, "Like I know that I'm a fail son." He doesn't use that word or that terminology, but he says, "Like I know I'm not cut out for this." And you know, he's talking to his mom when he says this, but he's like. You're my mom. You're not going to say this to me, but I know I'm kind of a fuck up and I'm not really cut out for this. And I don't really like if I had it my way, I would not be here right now. It, it definitely peaks that Yorick has enough self-awareness to improve. He may not have full self-awareness, but he knows enough to understand who he is and what he is in the situation, as opposed to like Hero, who is probably far more competent than Yorick on every single spectrum, but also overestimates that competence uh, in many realms. Although Yorick is also way too confident about how smart he is. So they're both like the perfect exemplifications of a certain age bracket within the twenties or Yorick is the like 18 to 25 year old man who is so eager to prove his wisdom, his experience, of which there is none, because he's just a couple years removed from high school. He's still a baby, you know? But by 25, he's... How old is York? Canonically? Um, he's 23. in the show. 27. Oh. Okay, I was close. In the, in the show, mm-hmm. I think that they are making him 27, but he might be 23 in the comics, right, Mike? So that, I thought I read that. He is 23 in the comic, just because there is a line where he says that, um, that he was like 23 when it started. But yeah, you're right. In the show, he's older. Okay. All right. And then Hero is the the slightly older, between 25 and 30 woman who has more experiences, but still isn't treated really like an adult and still isn't vested or comfortable or have any security in the world. I just feel like they really, they really exemplify an age bracket that a lot of people are going to recognize and empathize with. Yeah, exactly. Especially in our world, like today, um, people just, I mean, they say that what we're not, our brains don't fully develop and we're not really adults until we're we're 25, but then, you know, that doesn't account for everything else that happens in your life. Um, Mm -hmm. So yeah, they're certainly relatable. And um, I wanted to 
talk about because I always get distracted in the when I'm watching the show and an ampersand's on screen because I love him. <laughs> and so I want I, I had to, I I can't help but like bring him up because he looks great and I was really worried, but oh man, they got him good. It's so good. Yeah, he looks so good. So good. Uh, did I read it right that the first episode featured the monkey who played on Seinfeld, a monkey named Katie? The Wait, really? original, the original pilot, they used an actual uh, capuchin monkey named Katie. I believe it was on Friends that the, that yeah. the monkey was Friends, on. Friends, and... that's what it was. Oh, Marcel, yeah. Marcel, yeah. I mean, and... uh, I think the name is Marcel. <laughs> no, you knew that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, and so in the show, when they when it went to the full series and they reshot everything. And the pilot they used in a completely digital monkey, Industrial Light and Magic, uh, did these special effects for the monkey. Fantastic! And it looks job. good. Very it looks so good. It looks very good. We open. That was with a win it. by Peta. That was a win by Peta, actually. I yeah. I do have to wonder with the monkey too, because uh, this is where my brain goes. Is in in Friends, Marcel is also kind of a little shit. He just like shits in everyone's <laughs> shoes and stuff. And it's got to be messed up because in theory, he's probably the best trained monkey in the world. Right. Yeah. So like, yeah. imagine, oh, yeah. like there's just kind of, you, that. that's just wrong. Okay. Like you have to pretend <laughs> you're using the best trained monkey in the world to pretend that he's not well-trained. I mean, there's just something wrong about that for me. It's like oh, using it's... a sober Irish guy to play drunk. It's just not cool. <laughs> The, uh, in real life, you know, uh, Katie is a sweetie for real. Exactly. Oh, yeah. Shout out to Katie. Katie, what's up? Man. <laughs> They're not letting anyone that mean that close to David Schwimmer. No, no way. <laughs> uh, I I just wanted to say that I really like how we're introduced to Ampersand. Like he's basically scurrying around, you know, New York City post, you know, virus and he finds a pen and so he's like okay i'm gonna use this to barter a cracker and <laughs> i i don't know if this ever happens in the series and it might have at least you could probably say this for sure but the idea of york basically taking something ampersand wants and making it disappear it's just a clever idea and i don't know if it's ever in the comic it's not in that form at least but i i love the way that plays out with ampersand wondering where the cracker went yeah he does that to him a couple times yeah yeah Oh, he does? Okay. All right. Yeah, no, I love yeah. the way that it plays out on the show. I mean, he's yeah. always messing with friggin' Ampersand, like, all the time. Just constantly giving him shit, because that monkey gives him a lot of shit. He's always getting him in trouble. He's literally really and figuratively. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, so true. Now, yes. Yorick briefly loses Ampersand in the uh, just sustained shit water of the new york subway station a situation that i'm sure new yorkers are completely unfamiliar with in the last three <laughs> weeks um flooded subway stations that is uh Oof. and it, the the island of manhattan is basically going to get washed away in uh any time now yeah and uh so we have a situation where you they're really good about showing you just how the island is is kind of breaking down, how it's not, you know, all these things that are super sustainable. If there's enough workforce and enough technical uh, 
uh, technical expertise and there hasn't been too much disruption. When things are working perfectly, it's fine. Um, but now it's just uh, everyone for themselves to the point that Yorick gets held up by uh, a family who owns a dry cleaning business um, in a really good scene where they kind of spell out, hey, this is why Yorick can't just let everyone know he's a man. They immediately are kind of like, oh, yeah, we're going to barter you. I really like how this scene contrasts with the scene where he dives to save ampersand from a falling helicopter because in that scene he is self-sacrificing and strong and capable and action hero-y you know he like dove in there but in this scene in the uh, um the dry cleaner it's it's not the same guy it's a little closer to who york really is yeah i agree i like that uh, that um that difference. And I like how ampersand is like a part of Beth for him too. They kind of make that connection with Yorick uh, rewatching the video of him giving ampersand, uh, not giving, but getting, bringing ampersand home with Beth for him. It's like, Oh, it's our little family. It's our, we got our little monkey baby. Uh, not unlike stalker, uh, you know um, it's just a, it, it's a adorable narrative. And uh, he just all wants it all back because of course he does. Although it was never really there in the first place. She was probably furious, but she was like, I'm leaving you any day now. So, you know, <laughs> and it's, it's insinuated that he is going around the entirety of this Island, leaving notes for her just in case she happens down the street. Yeah. He's down bad. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, to be fair though, we're like we've all seen Beth, so I get it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I get it. But he signs and, all of these little uh, notes all over the walls with a Y. And I was like, oh, that's the show. <laughs> that's the show. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I, I do like it. Yeah, because they get separated. Basically, she leaves. They get into an argument after the proposal. She leaves. And then everything goes to hell. And, you know, we don't know where Beth is. And neither does Yorick. And uh, she has no reason to assume that he's still alive. Just like everyone else in Yorick's life, you know, they just assume he died with the rest of the cisgender men. <laughs> and it's uh, there's other aspects too. I I like about that. Um, it's the I like Yorick's guilt. Um, I like that the this narrative is starting off with a bit of guilt for both him and Beth, or sorry, for both him and uh, Hero. They both have different kinds of guilt, but at the end of the day, it's kind of a survivor's guilt when you distill it down. Yeah. Um, for completely different reasons. So uh, York then is, uh, he goes to his sister's place before he he's getting ready to bail the island, it looks like. And uh, who does he find there? But um, uh, Agent 355, who uh, takes him down very quickly and in an amazing scene. That's extremely well done, where like York is not like incompetent. He's not just like, oh, what's this? Like he he clearly like goes around the corner with, you know, he's got the the guitar. He's about to swing at the perfect angle. It doesn't, uh, he, it, I like when it looks like someone is really knowing what they're doing a little bit. Like they're, they're thinking it through and you can see it. And then they still get completely outclassed immediately. <laughs> <laughs> which That's is very fun which is so true to agent right like and it's so true to agent 355 and yorick's dynamic like from the get-go yes. and um you know nine out of ten other people coming around that corner he would have been fine you know so it was uh just someone who was way better at him uh she is looking for 
York's daughter, uh, uh, or sorry, York's daughter. Wow. Uh, she's looking for the president's daughter who also happens to be York's sister. She finds him and realizes what he is as a national asset immediately. Um, and then is flown back to DC with, uh, the only, uh, four people in the world knowing being, uh, uh York's mother, two pilots and agent three fifty five until, uh, York's mother's uh, assistant finds out and is included in the uh, in that circle. And I really like the dynamic done with the uh, the pilots for the record. Um, Same. They are uh, not dumb. They are uh, understandably confused. And it's like. Uh, the way their suspicions are portrayed is is very well. There's, you know, they do one who's clearly way more suspicious than the other. They're both extremely suspicious, and you kind of get the impression they're just playing the odds. Like, what, what are the, you know, what's more likely that somehow the one person with the Y chromosome left is the also happens to be the son of the president, or uh, that he got some kind of vaccine and he was the only one because there wasn't enough time or something, you know, I mean like really like what's the more likely scenario. Uh, yeah. And in the political atmosphere that we live in, um, we know exactly what mindset that they're jumping into. You know what I mean? We know exactly what, what their thought process is when they hear, when they realize what's really happening here. Um, I think that makes it, especially fun some of the cultural echoes that we find throughout um president brown's story yes without saying too much but it's very very interesting and yorick's uh time with his mother is brief he uh accidentally gets a impact made when he um exp- <laughs> gets caught by the uh first the former first lady uh, well, she's kind of uh tired but very clearly awake and she just sees him directly so she knows that he exists and he's alive. And that kind of sets up um, what's probably going to be the season with Jennifer Brown's plot. Um, so uh, President Brown decides, you know, the smartest thing to do is to basically push York off to a geneticist who is going to be a Dr. Man. Uh, York, I do like that he lampshades uh, that Dr. Man, the irony of the name. Was, yeah. it does have to be acknowledged no offense to uh, uh brian or pia but uh that name was really on the nose so hilarious and nobody else in the room appreciated the humor as much as yorick did which is just so perfect for his personality and the situation he's in i love the way that was done very true very true to the character yorick will often point something out or make a joke and no one else can appreciate it because they just <laughs> don't have the capacity and they don't care and York's just like oh okay. yeah i guess i'll just continue just, <laughs> just being quiet they're all just having a, a moment trying to figure out what to do and he's just doing like leno bits his name's yeah. wiener <laughs> the guy's name is wiener and he shows like he's just like he can't get out of it that's just how he is I mean, he's he just is it's the, <laughs> he's the guy giggling at the funeral he's the guy crying at the bar he's always in the wrong place at the wrong time oh he looks like a crier too <laughs> yeah he I does know it. <laughs> right i just know it we'll see it i have a feeling before the season is over we'll see some tears from york i definitely get big i cry all the time vibes from york 
Oh, actually, he has cried already. Has yeah, he heard cry after Beth? Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, and then, you know, the scene where he was um, held up in the, the laundromat, he was getting very weepy. <gasps> oh, he was yes. very yeah. upset. That's right. That was a good scene. Damn. I it forgot was so really was. good. And it's it's different that scene because he's in the same situation in the comics, but they make it way more lighthearted because he ends up using his like escape artist skills to get out of that situation. Whereas they they kind of make this they make these characters confront the issue. Like, are you really going to trade this guy? Are you really going to kill like this guy and take his freedom away? And why is he alive? What is he and why doing is he here? alive? Yeah. And I love how they bookend the light humor of that situation with the seriousness of the girl with the gun as she's saying um we have to survive here you know what i mean i also like it too because while the comic did a great job of not uh making it like uh there's a word for the the type of anime where it's one guy and a bunch of women i can't remember what the hell it is oh i know what you mean i believe it's pronounced it's pronounced hentai Grim. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's even a subgenre. It's like harem it's or called, something. Uh... Um, but anyway, it's it's not like the comic avoids the sexy time tones so much. It's immediately like this is this is too dangerous, yada yada. But the first person he does see in the similar situation in the comics, like Lacey pointed, is literally an ex model who's like wearing booty shorts. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I think in the comic, it's instructive because it's like showing you like, oh, this isn't sexy times because the model's actually just going to murder you um, or, you know, imprison you. Treat but, you for um, cans of food. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But I do like in this show, they kind of set it up. Uh, they set it up a little more bluntly in this way because uh, I think it's it's on television. It's a little more visceral that way. You have Absolutely. to set up. Yeah. And you have to set up the stakes because it needs to be made clear that like when you're shows who he is he is risking like a lot it's yeah yeah like you have to be a little more blunt i think in that way um and this won't probably won't be the last time that yurik you know gets confronted without his mask on yeah yeah no it's it's and also like doesn't follow instructions which is definitely um the whole city's being leafleted being told everyone's being told to leave and he's just kind of not listening to any of that um, so, uh, it ends with, uh, with, uh, the York, uh, plot line, uh, with him going to Boston and we'll cover the actual exit to Boston in the, uh, when we cover 355. Um, but now let's move on to Jennifer Brown, president Brown. Uh, they hate to see a girl boss winning. <laughs> Can't so, Diane, Diane Lane. Oh my God. Yeah. So good. I cannot get enough of her. Oh, I would honestly say if like it, the whole series was just the first three episodes that she is, I would probably call her the protagonist of it. Everything. Absolutely. She's the nucleus of these three episodes for sure. Yeah. Everything directly relates to her uh, in one way or another. Um, I think it's good that they did that that way. Um, if only because of the, the cultural place where we're in, where, like you said, they hate to see a girl boss coming up. So a lot of women are are, uh, are empathizing with that situation, you know? Oh, totally. And also the whole thing of like, once you finally get up, the entire world is shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you have to clean up all these terrible messes. Yeah. So that part is kind of fantastic. Um, 
I appreciate, I do appreciate how, uh, the, the only piece of legislation they discuss that she's been pushing on. And just to show how futile our current politics is like, is, is literally like an anti gamer, like random anti, uh, what was it? It was like a, uh, it was like a censorship on the internet thing that was pushed. It was basically an anti violence and, and rhetoric. Yes. Uh, measure it's like the anti-incel kind of thing mm-hmm. which uh is both like good you know fuck them but yeah. also <laughs> it like but shows also, how how little we can do politically <laughs> is that how it's futile it is right yes our politics is not set up to actually deal with like a problem that is material and exists day to day it can only deal with like different tweaks on pre-existing structures which sets up you know she's definitely gonna have those real trials they have to learn a new politics that they've not had to learn before oh and how well does that demonstrate that the reason that these things don't change is because even ornamental changes are fought tooth and nail totally totally because it's still a symbolic uh victory you know and i I do appreciate how it's literally like she calls the president a misogynist because of this bill and it's it makes sense with what she's doing and it makes sense with their current political position you know she uh, has a good line with the president saying we'll be friends in two and a half years which definitely reads as very true to me um somewhere out there there's a uh, a dimension where she does pass this bill but then for all the incels that they canceled, they also have to cancel a whole bunch of left-wing people just to balance it out. Well, like any and all you know, legislation in the United States, it would be used to oppress minorities at the end of the day. So mm-hmm. that is absolutely how it'd be used. <laughs> they would start looking up like Pakistani teens in Dearborn and start messing with them. That would be target number one. And Chapo Trap House. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and dirtbag leftists. Those are, the, those are the ones that are doing everything wrong. I, I do just love like terrorists. I do love, by the <laughs> way, that the FBI lost the entire Stormfront archives, quote unquote, lost according to them. And it's like, I'm sure you lost it, and it's not just a bunch of your own agents talking back yeah. and forth. I'm sure you guys were really keeping an eye on those forums. And yeah. by that, I mean moderating. Look, yeah. they were undercover, okay? They were just, you know, incognito. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. But I, I like the political si- situation it sets up. I like that it's, um, they kind of allude to something made explicit in the comics, which is the Democrats immediately just get full control of the federal government because there's just naturally more women who are Democratic leaders. And uh, that creates a whole interesting power dynamic. Um, it's, there is something to be said about a, uh, like a right wing, like a a right wing style, uh, idea of leadership with families being at the center and how Amber Tamblyn's character is playing that, that whole thing up, how she's the uh, president's daughter. And she does this cult, you know, the whole thing is like, you know, the boys have to be boys kind of thing. Uh Oh yeah. But also she has the like feminism isn't women, uh, being in these positions of power, feminism is you know supporting the man who's in this position of power. Thus, if the man is gone, I you know it should be familial. They they picked my family. They did not pick. Um, they didn't elect you. You know, 
Her character gave me such, I'm sure I'm not, this isn't an original idea, but Megan McCain oh, so totally. hard that I oh. could not watch her without getting angry. Lacey is having a visceral so well. reaction here. Yeah, <laughs> she, she she honestly was doing such a good job, like, characterizing that type of woman, I think, like, really well. I was really surprised. I was really surprised by it. But, yeah, I, I, I mean, she's totally hateable. Like, everything I, she must that have been she's watching doing, The View. I yeah, would go a step further. She's watching The View. <laughs> There's a, a, The Handmaid's Tale has this exact character. The woman whose, like, whole circuit was, like, you know, we need a, a – leadership ruled by men yeah yeah and i think why so far is doing it better than handmaid's tale has, do, has done that character for sure absolutely um, it's more nuanced and it's more um it's more interesting uh and i also like that the power dynamic um again isn't that the republicans have tiny numbers and whatnot but that it's revealed that there's a legitimate claim to the presidency by a republican and that Republican, um, that's an interesting dynamic because they make it clear, um, just like all politicians, the uh, the uh, uh, the what was it? Department of Agriculture? I can't remember who she was. I th- I think that she's the Department of Agriculture. Yeah, that sounds right. So USDA, right. Yes. she um, she is definitely uh, they're setting her up in Israel. She's alive. Uh, so it turns out, you know, Jennifer Brown is not officially the president in terms of lines of succession. And they have a fight over it of, you know, well, who really cares if she's alive? She's in Israel and more to the point, you know. But the other person says, well, all of our legitimacy comes from the Constitution. So if we ignore something as vital as succession, then we're inherently limiting our own power. And they're right. going to have that struggle. It's It's getting real in there. One of my favorite scenes in the White House is um, where Brown is standing, watching over the shoulders of the photographers, while the president thanks his wife and his family for their um, their support and all the happiness that they've had through the years. As President Brown is having her own very conflicted feelings about her own marriage and her own family and her own son, who is whose landlord is calling and asking for the rent as this is happening. You know, it was again, a scene packed full of exposition and explanation and character depth all done simultaneously as the plot is pushing forward, which is something they did so well in these first few episodes. It is amazing. Uh, Yes. And I like, um, so I like that we get to see, you know, Jennifer Brown before she, becomes president right and then we get to see uh we get to see um her husband you know hero and yorick's father um, because we don't really get to see him very much in the comic just like little hints and they talk about him a little bit but he's he's pretty much not there because he dies uh when you know the plague happens so um it's i think it's nice that we kind of get to see some interaction there it does set things up where, okay, you know, the marriage is not, you know, it's fraught, right? You know, there's tension there. Um, and they definitely weren't on good terms when things happened, which is, you know, tragic. Um, but yeah, I I also wanted to point out that the uh, person who technically has the um, right to be president or however you want to word it, um, she's like an anti-vaxxer and was seen as like sort of a, 
a very like bold and kind of out there choice by the president um, who yeah. passes away. A Marjorie Taylor Greene, if you will. Yeah, that's definitely the framing is like a Sarah Palin, Marjorie Taylor Greene kind of like tea yes. party. Uh, that's that's definitely, and it's you know, it, uh, there won't be equality until we can have garbage female politicians too. I mean, that's just that's, <sighs> that's just how it works, you know. That's that's what equality means, man. <laughs> so they are the <laughs> scariest demographic on the planet. Oh my god, these middle aged women with too much money and resources and too much free time who like learn everything they know about the world from Facebook. It's terrifying. Yeah. I mean, it's, and it, they, uh, they have a legitimate claim to the presidency, which again, I like, I like that. It's not as clean cut as uh, well, we're in charge because the constitution says so it's going to be, well, you guys are going to mess everything up. Even if you have a legitimate claim because you like are worried about sperm banks when we're trying to evacuate cities. Right. Yeah. You know, that's it's definitely uh, going to be I, I'm excited about that conflict. I'm excited about all the politics in the show. Um, I think there was one line about a president gerrymandering his election, which doesn't make any sense. But other than that one line, I was uh, uh, it just as a nerd, it kind of hit me the wrong way. But everything else worked out pretty well. I mean, I'm, I'm ecstatic that there's legitimate material conflicts. And um, also, I liked that they showed Jennifer Brown kind of accepting her situation by having her negotiate with a nuclear scientist to keep a plant running to be like, hey, I know you want to bury your son and your father, but like we need you more than we need me right now. And if I could be there and do it, I would. But I do not know how. And she's kind of like power is going to reside in people who can directly deliver goods. And that's not me. And that's kind of a an interesting admission to start, you know, politically on because uh, she's not wrong. And no. it's definitely her correctly assessing the situation. But um, yeah, the guy with all the power is the guy who can put the city, who can put the power back on in New York. You know what I mean? Exactly. That's where the power is. Um, I like that. Uh, what did you think about uh, the political dynamics, Lacey? Um, I'm, I'm excited just like you are to see like where they take it from here. I think that having, um, because this lady that is the president, she's not in the comic, right? Like it's a, it's, it's not existing in the comic. It's a different, it's a different person. Like Jennifer Brown isn't the president. It's another person. It's, it's yeah. And she was a, in the comic, the president is a Republican. I think like she is a conservative. I believe you're right. Yes. Yeah. yeah, I think that she is a conservative, whereas like you have it different in the, the show and everything. So I'm interested to see what they do with this, because like you were saying, like here they are propping up like their uh, their power based on the Constitution. Right. Like we're elected officials and they're basically saying like you were just the the wives or the sisters of these elected officials. You cannot you know, like you were not elected to come into this office, so you don't have a place here. Yep. And now they are basically, they make that decision. They're like, whatever we do, we cannot let this lady become president. And you're like, oh no, this is going to mm-hmm. be, this is going to be some shit. But I also think that they, you know, I almost would like to have seen them like kind of do the character that is the Israeli um, IDF character, the Colonel uh, Alter. 
Yeah. I yes. would love to to see what they do with that as well because it seems like they've mixed up a little bit of the stuff here. So I'm excited for what they're going to do with this politically because as of now, it's kind of like they're just setting up the stage for how messed up you know that it's going to get. It's going to get very convoluted and I think they're, they're going to delve a little bit harder into like the, the forces between Democrats and Republicans, you know, so we'll see what happens. It's there's very the, um, compelling. There's yes. like a greater than zero chance that this is going to end up with someone with a legitimate claim to America just being like, we'll be a colony of Israel. Sure. Right. Like, yeah. In or just in order to get back home and become president, she may make that kind of deal. Oh my god! I I think yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think that character is going to definitely end up crossing paths with Alter, um, and uh, people who haven't read the comic, I don't want to spoil who Alter is, but she's a formidable force, um, a formidable character that will be you know very pivotal, I think, going forward once we once we meet her. So now uh, we can move on to uh, another one of the uh, uh, main plot points, or sorry, main characters. Uh, Agent 355, everyone's favorite. Oh, love her so much. (laughs) Just the best. And Ashley Romans is killing me. She's amazing. Amazing as uh, 355. Amazing. I love in that first scene with her where she's uh, very, very carefully building an explosive i love that scene after she's shooed out of the room by her like alt-right nazi uh boyfriend quote unquote um and she does this little dance because she knows she just crushed it she just closed the curtain behind her left the stage knowing that everything was set in place she was gonna go for a little jog and she does this little this gorgeous little dance like nobody's watching and plays around in the mirror looks at herself because she's got three minutes before she has to kill everybody in the fucking building and she is such a queen (laughs) i can't handle it she's so good so good yeah she rules i Uh, love it yeah yeah. no i was gonna say i love i I love that about um the character is really interesting because like in the comic we don't really get to see her on any past missions um at least not in that on that level um there's like a little bit of flashbacks so i i really like that we get to see her like oh she's in the middle of working this is her embedded um and then it's interesting like jackie's describing what she's doing and it, it's like i wonder like is that her is that her in character or is that a little bit of both you know and it's yes it, it did anybody her... else wonder like how did she end up with that knob she's sitting in the room with i was like ew how did he get her how did how did this happen and then just a couple minutes later, you know, you understand. But at that moment, I was. Yeah, yeah you realize uh, you realize that nobody gets 355. <laughs> she no. only has herself, you know. <laughs> That's right. She's or, amazing. Or Agent 350 Foyne, as I like to call her. <laughs> <laughs> and I love that. Yeah. <laughs> she's a, I think she's going to be a fan favorite for people not familiar with the comic moving forward because she's. Like you said, like Ashley Romans is so good as her. Like she's just killing it. We're gonna get the best gifts from this. I cannot wait. <laughs> That's it's gonna be about all the memes. Yes. I uh, 
I do love with 355 that they have set up um, very well how good she is at deception and also utilizing people having lower expectations. Um, the only time she has really like known better and corrected anyone was when she briefly was bullshitting with Yorick. Um, and, uh, she corrected him pretty quick. Um, and you know, she had no reason not to, kind of, but, uh, it definitely shows that she can turn it on when she needs to turn it on as well as her, you know, knowing where the safe house was, knowing how to get there. Uh, you know, after all the men are dead, she goes to her little culpa ring, you know, uh, a signpost or, uh, for all of her, where her dead drops are and all her stuff. And she reaches out. Um, I mean, she just comes off hyper competent, which is great. Um, especially with her having to make the decision. Does she tell the president what she is or not? You know, she could very easily have just never said anything and kind of so gone with those- it. For those of us who are um, just experiencing and learning about all this now, what can you guys tell me without spoilers about the Culper Ring? I mean, it was a real thing back in the Revolutionary War. And yeah. it, the premise is basically it just never ended. Oh. Um, and that it's just always existed as the ultimate black project. Um, black project meaning um, undisclosed. Uh, that that could come off wrong if people don't know what I mean. Um, it's meant to be an undisclosed project that's completely uh, off the books. It's part of a redacted budget, which is why Jennifer Brown wasn't aware of it. Um, oh. Ironically, in the, the real world, most of it looks like it just gets laundered through fake, ex, uh, fake line items in pe- the Pentagon budget. Mm-hmm. which is part of why they can't audit the Pentagon because there's just so much <laughs> off the book stuff happening <laughs> that it's a substantial oh, chunk and you can't actually find out what it really is because there's just too much. So um, that's the world we live in. There's but, just uh, no way that they could even do that. Even if you sent like, what do they call them? Forensic accountants in to try and track. No, they literally tried and it failed. <laughs> they tried to audit the right? Pentagon and it was a massive failure. They were like, yeah, we don't know where a lot of the money is unallocated is the yeah uh, like tens of billions really like of dollars yeah 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 and that was it just That's... like the pentagon papers like okay massive corruption <laughs> anyway the pretty much news day the comic i think um i think the show i think sets up the whole corporate a little bit better than the, the comic it's more just like yes that's what she did before but it's kind of behind her after the play kits because pretty much everyone in charge is dead Whereas I think the show is going to probably explore that a little more. I, from what I can tell, we're probably going to get some more like flashbacks with uh, 355, maybe get to know her a little bit better. Because we do see that in the comic to a degree as well. And we do get to see, I think, her mentor in the comic. Um, but I, at least you could probably speak on that a little bit better than I can because she just read it recently. Yeah, so you see, um, you do get to see some flashbacks with Agent 355. And um, what's really interesting in the comic, one of the things that I really liked about her was that she does not, she does not seem to be someone who's very cold blooded, like she makes decisions based on duty and responsibility, and her um, job for protecting the president, you know, she she serves at the pleasure of the president of the United States of, Amer- of America. Right. And you can really tell that about her character. Um, and she's willing to make the, the, 
the tough decisions, but you do see flashbacks in the comic. And I think that you get a sense of like her vulnerability as a character as well, which is something that I'm, I'm interested to see develop, especially after what happened in um, this past episode, the, the third episode. Oh my, yes. Oh my goodness. That really came through (laughs) in the scene with the pilots because she has that duty to protect Jennifer as the president and do everything she can to um, bring Yorick to safety. But she's asking the same questions and she knows exactly where their minds went. She's like, we have a job to do. Yeah. And I feel like she understands that she's not going to like really be able to convince them. Right. She's just like, listen, they, them knowing about this is like a threat, whether we want to admit that or not. And she makes a decision to kind of placate everyone around her because she understands that they're not going to be able to make the same kind of decisions that she has to make as someone who is protecting Yorick and the future of humanity, essentially, you know? Well, and she does say, I'll take care of the pilots. So, you know, mission accomplished. Um, Yeah. (laughs) For uh, real. Yeah. as, uh, As Stalin said, no man, no problem. (laughs) <laughs> yeah <laughs> um uh no woman no problem i apologize there you go um but yeah no the- <laughs> woman no problem um, <laughs> it is interesting uh that she uh she basically it, it's presumed she has uh rigged their airplane to explode midair and it you know it does so uh yorick seems taken aback and uh you get the impression he's falling for it, which is interesting. Um, I wonder how long that's going to last and how True. he's going to react when he figures it out. <laughs> I, I was actually thinking about that too, because I, you know, I was like, does he, is, is he like realizing? Cause we're kind of coming to that conclusion in that moment too, is like, Oh, that wasn't an accident. You know, like this, this lady's <laughs> got a look on her face. You know what that look is. And yeah, uh, I feel like Yorick, they cut to his face for a second. And you can kind of see that realization a little bit like absorbing into him, but then they they pan away from that. So right. I'm wow. interested to see what he, I mean, because he already knows, right? Like he's like, this lady is a badass. Like she's got something <laughs> else going on that has Absolutely. nothing to do with anything that I've seen so far. So yeah, he definitely has his suspicions and it's he's probably not going to announce those suspicions till he gets mad about something. So we'll find out oh, yeah. what it's going to be. That, Typical Yorick. Classic. <laughs> yes. Uh well, and I think that that was in the comic, you know, in the comic I think um we'll get to meet her soon, but you know, Allison Mann, that's something that her and 355 are at odds over because 355 she doesn't take any pleasure in hurting people, but she will if she has to. And Allison Mann doesn't want her to, and they are at a conflict at times. Um, so I think it's interesting uh, because they're already sort of, sort of setting that up, right? Like, I, I think that's going to come to a head eventually. Um, but yeah, Yorick, um, as naive as he is, he's not stupid uh, or not completely stupid. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit. I, I like 355 thinking tactically, too, in terms of choosing Dr. Mann. 
which was an interesting uh i liked it a lot because the the whole logic makes sense of people are going to be looking for any uh geneticist who specializes in these fields so we can't go for an obvious choice we have to go for someone that you would actually write off but we have to pick them for a reason other than their actual ability and the reason is because she wanted to you know mohammed bin salman wanted a ninth gender <laughs> and she was going to create it she she's all about the work as agent 355 puts it <laughs> And, you know, 355 is really, um, in my opinion, kind of like acting as like a chief of staff in a way, you know, like with Jennifer Brown, she is like giving her so much advice. She's telling her exactly what she needs to do without being like, this is what you you need to do. But she's the one who comes up with the plan to get Yorick out of uh, the White House because it's like, this is not this is not a great place for him to be. I mean if anyone sees this, they're immediately going to think conspiracy theory. They're immediately going to think that our government has made this happen. I also like that. She probably would be like, you know, uh, her personal assessment is probably also conspiracy. And she's just like, that doesn't matter. (laughs) It's even if it's purposeful, it's irrelevant. The future of humanity is like not a negotiable, not a negotiable starting point. And they display that so well in that scene with the pilots where you can see her vulnerability oh, yeah. and her doubt, but her strength and overriding those feelings, compartmentalizing them and moving on with her duty. Also knowing enough to give them uh, two uh, massive awards. I don't know what they were, by the way. I don't I don't recognize the uh, the military awards. I'm assuming they're medals of honor or silver stars, but they didn't look like silver stars. So I, I don't know what they were, but they... She gives them both these massive military medals that are very clearly important to both of them to kind of butter them up into going to Boston. And she knows it's just enough to get them in that pl- in that uh, helicopter. And uh, that's really all she needed. So um, I, I enjoy how well written she is and how, um, in the truest sense of the word, how conservative her ability to speak is. You know, everything she says is pretty effective. Yes. Um, she also realizes she's going to be like leading Yorick around very quickly. Um, and that's probably why she kind of, you know, brought out the whip a little bit and kind of told him <laughs> off because she knows, you know, he will back down if, if she pushes and she needs him to fall in line for her. Now I haven't read the comics, but I get the feeling that that's not the first time that 355's whip is going to come out. I feel like she's going to be <laughs> witnessing some card tricks she doesn't really want to see at some point here. <laughs> yes. She that's absolutely. I mean, the big thing is like she wants him to always stay put and he just does not. He's literally an escape artist. He does not like being <laughs> on the sidelines. Yeah. When you when you think about it, I just if you think about Adrian 355, it's like what happens to her is like so different than what she probably expected. It's like, oh, I'm going to be in Secret Service. There's a credible threat in the president. Instead, she's like hauling around literally like the last cisgender man on earth who does card tricks and has like a pet monkey who won't behave, who's also <laughs> a male, by the way. So it's like, it is really interesting to think about. I'm. <laughs> Yeah. How well that scene was done with with the the final death scene and how they they start bringing the tension up with these small rodents. Yes. Running across the city. Oh, when that yes. dog. Oh, oh God. that dog. Oh, God. Was so, so I had to turn to it off. I was up north. I wrangled just enough Wi-Fi to watch the first couple episodes, and as soon as that happened, I was like, "No!" I physically threw my tablet away from me. No, 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 no. 
the the foreshadowing is so uh, good because it's not in the comic. They just it just sort of happens. Right. Um, whereas yeah. in the show, it's like very carefully foreshadowed. So that way, when it does happen, you're like, oh, this jumped over the humans. <laughs> yes. And, and that's, it's also, um, yeah. Sorry. Oh, I'm sorry, Grim. No, you go. Um. So to me, it was just like in the, the comics, you know, they're written in 2002. So when it happens in the comics, it's a very ground zero-esque moment, right? Like it's just like a massive global like disaster that happens right away. There's no you know, well, they say that there's no clues to that this event was going to happen, but there probably is. Um, so in the show, I think that it's nice to give us the, that foreshadowing to see the animals kind of start like slowly dying out. So the people that are watching the show that haven't read the comic are going to get introduced to it kind of slowly and kind of see what's happening. You know, there's a lot of decisions. It was so jarring how they went from the, the starting scenes with Yorick climbing through post-apocalyptic um, New York, which we all immediately recognize at this point in our culture. Like, we've been having apocalypse porn media for uh, over a decade now, right? It's been going on for a while. Oh, yeah. I, I would honestly say it started with, like, Jeremiah and then Jericho and all that. Like, I mean, it, it, probably even earlier. Yeah. And so we see York going through this and we're like, wow, what happened there? But to watch it play out slowly, eking out all these little bits of information about how he got there. It was tremendously well done. The showrunners killed it. Oh, absolutely. Oh, speaking of shout out to uh, the showrunner who listened to the episode. Uh, hell Yay! yeah. Mike, I'm terrible with names. I forgot her name. Wow, way to uh, way know. to embarrass us. No, her name is Eliza Clark. <laughs> Eliza Clark. Eliza Clark. I wanted to say Eliza Clark, and then I was like, no, it's definitely not Eliza Clark. I started playing against <laughs> myself in my own head. So yeah, looking looking forward to the next episode, which has Yorick and Agent Three Fifty Five heading over to Boston to try to find Doctor Man. And meanwhile, Jennifer Brown's going to be dealing with uh, her complicated situation. Because uh, people are starting to suspect something's up. And uh, there's also that power struggle. And then we have Hero and Sam who are heading to Washington. And they might end up coming across another group who we all know from the comic. But uh, looks like they have gotten changed a little bit. So that's exciting. And I'm curious to see where that goes. I could absolutely also see the possibility of a big time jump. It, like like two weeks or something, you know, where they're they've been searching through Boston and the the um, a certain uh, group pops up in Washington over the next few weeks. I can see both of those things happening. Ooh, it's exciting! Spoilers. I cannot wait. It's going to be so hard for me not to read forward, but I love this position of being the outsider who can ask what it was like in the comic and get such great information from you guys. It's amazing. They definitely captured the spirit of the comic really, really well. And every choice for my money has been better than uh, the the comic for the medium it's in. So I'm, I'm definitely, uh, I'm kind of amazed they're spinning this many plates at once successfully. It's very impressive. Yeah. I agree. And I, I think that the updating of the show, I, I have no complaints about the choices that they've made so far. Yeah, I get that. It's uh, like you said, it captures the spirit of it and it all feels very true. And I, I feel like all these decisions, like everyone in the room 
and everyone in charge, like they're, it seems like they're familiar with the comic. They like the comic, but they understand that like we're adapting this for television. So we're, and we're going to make it our own. And I think it's, it's great because it works if you've read the comic or if you haven't. And you have to really, really understand this kind of source material, I think, to respectfully um, lay it out in a, a in a readable or a palatable way because it's so complicated. You've got jumps forward and backwards in time. You've got several different swapping perspectives and so many characters, but um, they're all very lovable. They're all connected and it's all getting real it's so exciting yeah um lacy do you have any last comments um no just that i am so happy to be here thank you guys for having me on i was very excited to talk about this oh we're definitely stoked we'll bring you back thank you so much i would love to talk about it more um i'm loving the show and i i really do love the comics i know that they have you know the they're a little older. They have their flaws and stuff, like things that you could definitely criticize. But I, I am happy to see that they've made like a, a big effort to to fix those flaws and kind of make a better, richer story too, and have developed it to kind of like modern day politics and everything. Because this is like, this is post like directly post two thousand one, like art, you know. So it's it's definitely of its time. So it's interesting to see how they have shown how we've developed politically and kind of socially in the 20 years since that's all happened and and adapt it in the show in like a, a real way. I mean, I don't know if you guys remember, I had to bring up the the plane scene. Yes. Ugh. I was like, yeah, this is it's definitely making a nod to like when this was made, like the politics of this comic are so like post 9-11 politics it's not even funny no. it's like honestly scary <laughs> you can feel how fresh it is i haven't even read the comic series but i can see the impression you can see where the wave broke yeah yeah that's i mean it's it's all right there it's all on the surface um well does anyone else have any last words uh i do uh grim so i looked it up and it is indeed harem that you were thinking of because I looked up Tinchi Muyo because that was oh, what I was thinking yeah. of. <laughs> and that's, that's, that's like the subgenre. Yeah. It's like comedy harem. I, yes. Okay. So here's how my brain works. I thought Tenchi Muyo, but I didn't want to make myself sound as like nerdy by referencing it. So I just made up the word harem because that's what it like resembles. And I, you know, accidentally hit the bullseye, which is so much worse than just saying Tenchi Muyo. <laughs> <laughs> you knew it in your bones. <laughs> Outed as a ginger and a weeb. Oof, oh. Oof times oh. ten. <laughs> also, real quick, Grim, I looked it up. The the medals that they give that she gives the pilots are Medal of Honor. Like okay. they're Medal of Honor medals. Oh. Which to me makes me feel like sh- she knew. She yeah. knew what she was doing. <laughs> she gave them to them. She was like, listen, this is, I'll make them really happy in this second here, but I already know what I'm doing with these, these, these people. Like, I feel like she knew this the second that she got on that helicopter with them. So yeah, she but probably searched all the corpses for it. <laughs> she no. probably found oh, yeah. two and we're like, I know where these could go. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, with that, we're wrapping up uh, episode one officially of Why the Last Pot. Uh, thank you for your time. And as always, uh, have a great day, everyone. And listeners, hey, you, yeah, we want to hear what you thought about it, what you thought about casting, what you thought about the exposition, and what you thought about the original series. All right.